There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Okay, that's great. perfect. It's <clears throat> a great time. All right, you guys ready? Yes, sir. Dude. Sir. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready, yeah. I was, you were, I was ready. Yes. Yeah. What is ready? I'm here, I'm present. <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is the Sheriff of Maricopa County, Mr. Paul Penzone. Welcome, sir. Thank you for my first podcast. That's crazy. The first podcast. That's yeah, very intimidating. <laughs> well, when you're sitting with Centauri Minor, it is very intimidating. That's what I then. hear. That's yeah. How is this your first podcast? I have no idea. Apparently, I'm not a you know I'm not a big hit when it comes to podcasts. Mm. I'm not an A-lister, so no no disrespect, but I appreciate you guys inviting me as a B-lister. Right. B-lister. Yeah. Okay. So Centauri. B-lister on an A-list podcast. I love that. Yeah. Here we find ourselves in the headquarters of of, of the sheriff's department. Were you nervous walking in? Are you nervous now? <laughs> no, the nerves have subsided, but yeah, you're absolutely nervous walking in. Uh, Sorry, sir. I'm asking him. Oh, yeah. Wow, I thought he you was meant asking, for me. He was asking if I was nervous about this. No, <laughs> fortunately, um, we've done some programming with the sheriff's office, so this is not my first time here, um, and they make it a very welcoming environment, and I know I'm not nervous. The was, first time, though, I was very confused about like how it was going to go, okay. um, but no, they're great here. All right. And, and you, sir. You're, you're, you're. <laughs> My apologies, yeah, uh, for interrupting Santari <laughs> there. Um, yeah, it's the responsibility that comes with it, you better take serious. So that in and of itself will create some nerves, but hopefully it's for the right reasons, because I don't think nerves are necessarily bad. They kind of fine-tune the fact that you have to have your eye on the ball, and, uh, and as you become comfortable, you should focus on being uncomfortable, meaning making sure that you realize that if you get, if you get uh, comfortable, you can get lazy. If you get lazy, then you don't deserve to be here. I love that. So, uh, Sheriff, can you give us, a, I'm sure some folks know, but for those who don't, give us a little bit about your background and like, what led you here? <laughs> My wife led me here. And it's funny because when I say this, I'm <laughs> like, oh, your wife doesn't tell you what to do. Yeah, if you want to keep her happy, you're listening. <laughs> um, but no, you know, I, as a young man, just had kind of one of those defining moments that I was in high school and it was career day and I didn't know what my career was going to be. I just had some interests and I met a police officer on career day and, and listening to him speak. And what he stood for resonated with me. And it was, it was kind of this basic value of, listen, there are bullies out there. And they may be the um, smaller percentage of society, but they do a lot of harm. And you have to choose whether you want to stand in front of those bullies and protect those who maybe aren't capable of protection or more vulnerable, or if you're going to stand on the sidelines and watch it. And that was kind of my, you know, my first step into law enforcement, saying, hey, I want to be a difference maker. And I had a very blessed and fortunate career for 21 years with Phoenix PD worked in all different capacities and uh and in leaving the law enforcement my first career i want to go back to the community and just do positive things and serve in a different way but my path to becoming sheriff was my wife challenging me because i didn't like what i was seeing from leadership in this office and she said you know what either stop complaining or do something about it and that's one of those moments again that are defining and you say you know are you willing are you capable and are you deserving and if you can honestly say you can check those three boxes for the right reasons then you go after it and that's what led me here and i'm just as i said it's a privilege to be here and the sheriff is an elected position talk to us about how it was to run oh it's horrible 
Yes, and there's <laughs> roughest days out there in law enforcement sometimes pale in comparison to what it means to be in politics. But I do think that's because of who we've become as a society. Mm. We have this attitude that politics means there are no rules relative to um, dignity and respect for others and and being focused on the needs of others versus the you know focusing on our own individual aspirations. Um, politics has become something ugly, and it shouldn't be. And it is our fault because we can change it, and we can change it just by le- just in leading by example. So how you go about your business when you campaign for office, no matter what you face as a tax, how you stay true to who you are, and how you make it about other people, talking about their needs and what you can accomplish to meet their needs mm. should be the platform instead of criticism and attacks mm. of others and, and you know trying to rise up by knocking others down. If we're going to teach the next generation what it means to be a thoughtful person, then those should be our values in everything we do, especially in the world they call politics. Wow. Appreciate that. <clears throat> so your predecessor was a very, very polarizing figure and uh, to say the least, a, a staple of, of Arizona for 24 years. And now you've been in the sheriff for, for how long has it been? Two years and change. Two years and change. And how has that transition been? Uh, you know, it's people ask me, was it what you expected? I don't know that you can prepare in your minds. I would, it means to take on any major organization and, and the capacity of this one is tremendous. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, we got about 3,700 employees. We have, you know, five jails with 8,000 detainees and inmates. We have 9,000 square miles to cover in, you know, six districts and, and a lot in the fastest growing county in the nation. So transitioning from one form of leadership that existed for a quarter century into a, a new perspective and a perspective that's considerably in contrast because, you know, that, that term of, well, we need to be tough on crime. Absolutely. We need to be strong as it relates to public safety and how we hold people accountable to the law. But that doesn't mean that we can lack compassion or empathy or understanding. Most importantly, ignore what it means to have a connection to the community that you serve and their needs. Uh, that's, that's something that is unique from previous leadership here. So changing that focus means showing people why it's beneficial, showing people internally that we're capable of it. And it takes time. But I think the biggest mistake I could have made or would you know make going forward is to believe that it can happen overnight. Because foundations, mm. if they're stable, are built over time as our relationships. So I have to be patient. I have to call on patience from the community. I have to show the progress and be accountable to the failures. Um, but this is a this is a work in progress and and we're Moving forward, but some days are you know two steps forward and one back. Some days are two steps back and one forward. But ultimately, we will continue to have forward progress and, and you know respect the authority we're given because it is the most powerful authority that any individual can carry. Can you kind of uh, pinpoint a tangible example of what is the, what is the challenge in that in that um, transformation between you or between Sheriff Arpaio and you? Greatest challenge is restoring trust. Mm. You know, a lot of folks that had. What they, you know, mm. feels a connection to my predecessor. It was a personal connection founded in the perception of safety. And when I say perception of safety, again, it's, it's tough talk. So I can tell you what I want to tell you and I can give you the vision from my mouth to your ears. And, and it can seem like a reality if you're not the person impacted. But if you're the person adversely impacted, those words are meaningless. So how do you change an organization that was really predicated in, in what we're doing right now, which sounds like a contradiction, in this kind of media lane 
and, and change that focus to saying, hey, we should be result oriented and let the results speak for themselves. So I came through the door and the volume was really loud. The volume was, how do we get exposure for everything that we do that's good? And that's all that anybody will hear. And then mine was, let's turn the volume down and let's have the same courage to be transparent and talk about the failures and then say what we're doing to address them as we are committed to saying, hey, here's what we've done in the law enforcement lane and public safety to show that we are not only impactful, but that we are um, consistent and disciplined. I would have to think that uh, from my perspective as a citizen of, of, of the county, I want my politicians, my elected officials, my law enforcement to have as much transparency as possible. Is that, that, that can't be easy, but is, is that something you really work at? It is, you know, in, in, you know, a lot of things that we've done, we've created a lot of, um, you know, they, they, you can call them like community boards or oversight boards, but ultimately they should be extended partners. So when it comes to the unique boards that we've created and, you know, thus far, they're kind of um, designed based off of cultures or communities that have been um, marginalized or neglected. So they have insight into what we do and they have input into how we develop the organization. You know, a big part of it is how do we broaden our scope on how we recruit? You know, who are we bringing an organization mm. that better reflects the community at large? And, and that's the first step for transparency because you're calling on others to say, hey, if you don't know what's going on or you don't like what you're seeing, come be a part of improving the process. The challenge lies in where is the, the hard standard relative to how much information can we give in law enforcement without giving too much, meaning are we undermining our ability to be successful in investigations going forward because we've kind of showed all of our trade secrets? Um, how much information do we put out while still refraining from putting out information that could be detrimental to a person's rights? Meaning if we, you know, in today's world, there's so much video. If we put out every video, aren't we kind of impeding the, ju the, the jury process and due process in courts? Because now everybody's seen it and they've drawn a conclusion before they've seen all the other evidence. So I want to be as transparent as possible. I want the community to trust us by seeing and knowing what's going on. But the trust also means trusting that when you don't see or know something, that it is being done ethically and with integrity. So it's a balancing act, and I think it's an evolution. I don't think that who we are today will reflect who we want to become tomorrow in that lane. Um, but it's, it's got to be a balance. It's got to be a, a trust and a respect, um, but a commitment to each other. What is one thing that you wish the community knew about the work that you do? That the work's really done by men and women on, on the street who are, you know, dealing with same issues that those they serve are. You know, mm. they have families, they have kids, they have bills, they have, you know, issues in school, they face the opioid addiction, they have, um, you know, relational challenges, that stress affects them no different than it affects you. You know, you go out on a scene and you see a child that's abused or you go to a homicide or you're, you're in a position where you have to make a decision to take a life. That affects people. It affects their mental health, their well-being, and it affects it impacts who they are and who their family is. So to have this expectation that we're supposed to be perfect, but everybody that we have to deal with should get a pass on being imperfect, um, mm. that's not real world. That's not that's not human. The human element. So we have to be in this together, and and in being it together, you have to understand that. We have an organization that consists of humans with great responsibility and authority. And some days are going to be very good and other days they're going to be imperfect. My job is to make sure that when we are imperfect or fail, that we address it 
And the community's job is to make sure that when they do an exceptional job, that you show appreciation so people feel valued and that they have purpose and they don't feel demonized um, and scrutinized because of the actions of one individual bad cop reflects all the good cops or one individual bad deputy's actions reflect all the um, undermine all the great work by other deputies. So, um, you know, I wish we could just have a better understanding of, of those factors, but it's not easy. I would love uh, just a quick story to the amount you could tell the story of a, an officer that's done something just great in the community or got around it. Well, you know, it's, it's an excellent question, first of all. And, you know, we can talk about heroic stuff that happens often. Mm-hmm. And heroism is usually something really dangerous you face um, that, you know, you go and you challenge and you save a life. And those kind of things happen every day here. But I think oftentimes the most impactful stuff is just the little engagements that some of our deputies have in the community. You know, we had in the same week when law enforcement was facing criticism for some negative things or abuse of authority, which happens. You know, we had deputies out on patrol who see that little kids playing baseball don't have some umpires for their game. And they're going to cancel the game because there are no umpires and the parents, you know, want to enjoy it. They don't want to officiate or look biased. So the deputies in uniform, you know, get behind the plate and out on the base paths to positively impact an opportunity with children. So what does that mean? You know, does that make our community safer? Not on face value, but what it does is it inspires young men and women that deputies are real people who care and can connect. And for me, this is going to sound crazy, but our biggest challenge is recruiting young men and women into this profession. So when we have real human moments like that, that aren't necessarily putting a bad guy in jail or dealing with a victim of crime, people feel connected and hopefully children see us through a different lens. So those kind of things happen all the time in this organization. Um, You know, we have detention officers who have seen inmates due to anxiety take action in an effort to take their own lives. And these detention officers are on their hands and knees trying to give first aid to keep that person alive, who is a criminal in custody who, you know, did something to hurt themselves. Yet these detention officers see the human element of it and have a responsibility and try to save that life. That happens on a regular basis. And, And people would never know that what goes on inside those walls. I would love to, <clears throat> I should probably have done a little bit more research. What is the mission of the Sheriff's Department and what would you like the citizens of Maricopa County to look at a sheriff and say that man or woman is here to do what? So our mission, you know, in its, in its simplest terms is public safety. Uh, public safety means that, you know, we have the one branch which is most visible, that is our deputies on the streets who go and do no, nothing different than officers in other communities. They write tickets you know, to try to manage traffic to ensure that there is public safety when it comes to our roadways. They respond to calls for service, and it's everything from you know, a check welfare to a domestic violence to you know, uh, a burglary and everything in between, and they investigate those cases. Um, we have – so that's the most visible. That is, you know, in a 3,700 or so or, um, employee organization – that's about 750 of our employees. We have over 2,000 detention officers because we have five jails. So a big part of public safety is how do you account for the safety as well as the containment of those who are accused of or um, convicted of crimes. And we're responsible for their safety. So in that little community that occurs in the walls, our DOs are in the walls also. And they're responsible for everyday needs 24-7, of inmates who have mental health issues, drug addiction, are violent by nature, or are you know just a common citizen who made a bad decision and has a price to pay. 
so that's a big part of it. And then we have you know like 750 civilian employees that manage a $400 million budget and are responsible for capital improvements and all these different things. So public safety is too easy words to, to kind of classify it, but the, the job description itself is as comprehensive as running a small community. And what would I want people to know? You know, sheriff, sheriff better be a person, a man or a woman, who is 100% invested in public safety and 0% invested in politics, mm-hmm. who is 24-7, I on the ball of running an organization, you know, in the form of a CEO, and 24-7 trying to find new ways to improve the skill sets of those in the organization so that public safety is always the core focal point. And being on the news or doing things for individual notoriety should be a disqualifier. Mm. Okay. I was watching an interview about um, where you mentioned that that policing should not be partisan. And I, I 100% agree. Um, <clears throat> we do live in a, a time where where politics is seems to be on the tip of everybody's tongue. And <clears throat> I was wanting to ask how you feel about um, immigration policy or immigration enforcement, what, what your role in that, what, what your office's role is in that. That's a great question. And it is probably the most polarizing and challenging one that we face right now. So what everyone needs to understand first and foremost is that this office is under two federal court orders that 100% prohibit and restrict any immigration enforcement by the representatives of this organization. That is due to the actions of my predecessor that were in violation of civil rights and laws. So prior to that time, you could actually receive, um, you know, what is basically federal authority to be involved in immigration enforcement. You're sworn in for certain um, certain authority relative to it. Um, and you could take action as an extension of ICE or, or Border Patrol. Those days are gone for this office. We no longer have that authority, nor should we, in my opinion. Not because I think it's okay to violate immigration laws, but our mission is so um, comprehensive and challenging that we have to keep our eye on the primary functions of public safety within the scope of state laws. Uh, As the sheriff, but also as a person in the community, there's two different elements. The first element is this. As a nation, we've kicked the can down the road for far too long as it relates to fixing a broken immigration system, getting back to the table and saying, how can we have a comprehensive plan that facilitates opportunity for those deserving, whether it is jobs or citizenship or any of those other elements. So if someone from another nation comes here, that the process is fluid and fair. At the same time, how do we ensure that as a nation, citizenship holds value and that our borders are safe? Because if the borders aren't safe, then the nation can't be safe. And I don't want that to be some kind of an endorsement or, or a statement relative to a wall, because I get why that argument goes on. But national safety and border security, which go hand in hand, are about how comprehensive you can be relative to addressing that issue. You know, we just had a seizure of two tons of marijuana, 200 pounds of methamphetamine, um, weapons, you know, and stolen vehicles of individuals who came across with those items to distribute, distribute them on our streets. That's a danger to our children. That's a hazard to our safety. Those are real issues. So when we look at that, it should be law enforcement taking the lead in the conversation relative to what can we do and what do we need to keep the nation safe. And then our elected officials, it's their job to determine, first and foremost, is it appropriate? And secondarily, how do we fund it? It shouldn't be the way around. The tail shouldn't wag the dog. Mm. It shouldn't be you know elected officials saying, what's 
you know, exciting for our constituents, so we're going to do this in an effort to move the political meter. Law enforcement can't be political. Public safety has to be comprehensive. Um, so I think that we need to address the issue of immigration processes. We need to commit to what it means to be safe as a nation, to include securing our border through many different resources. Um, but we also need to be a thoughtful, compassionate nation and remember where we come from. I'm of Italian descent. My grandparents came here from Italy. If not for them, you know, my process to becoming a U.S. citizen would be considerably different. But I have that privilege and that blessing. But we shouldn't deny it to others who are also deserving or can you know, make a positive difference in our nation. And I think we've become so divisive on this issue that the right doesn't want to talk to the left. The left's mad at the right. You know, and at the end of the day, you're all supposed to serve the same people. It doesn't right. matter the mm -hmm. color of their skin or their religion or anything else. We're supposed to be a thoughtful nation where everyone's treated fairly. So I, um, I know that the scope of work for the sheriff's office is uh, pretty comprehensive, but what are some programs that you'd love to kind of have a platform for to bubble up to just talk about the good work that you're doing? Uh, you know, I think the number one thing is we need to continue to, you know, I just talked about it with border issues and the immigration. This office is working on a platform where our staffing model is consistent with what the staffing model was in 2006. Mm. But the population has grown by like 15% or so since that time. We're the fastest growing county in the nation. So we have to have a plan going forward. No different than the other organization. Three, five, ten year plan saying here's how big we are now. Here's how big we need to be to meet the needs of our community. So first and foremost, it needs to be a thoughtful, um, pragmatic conversation about what it takes to fund a law enforcement agency to meet the needs of the community. Secondarily, it is how do we do a better job of restoring trust and confidence in law enforcement? You know, what can we do differently and how do we extend our uh, relationship and how is the community more understanding to work with us uh, so that issues of failure don't become um, paralyzing. And when I say issues of failure, we know too many lives are taken on our streets, whether it is from criminally, you know, from criminals, whether it is law enforcement, you know, using lethal force. And what ends up happening is we get into silos and, and point blame. Unique or individual acts need to be judged no different than whether it is a, a community member or a law enforcement professional. And then we evaluate it and we address it. And whatever consequences are necessary to um, to have accountability, we, we do that. But if we're at odds, law enforcement versus the community, and it doesn't matter what community that is, we're all weaker because of it. So we need to find a way to, to resolve that issue. Uh, and, and we need to ask ourselves, how do we do more to become an engaged community that we're just an extension thereof as opposed to uh, a division from it? Um, and, and just say, hey, we have serious issues. Opioid addiction is a serious social issue. You know, um, violent crime is a serious issue. Responsible gun ownership is a serious issue, and that's not an attack on the Second Amendment. But if a gun is in the hands of a mentally ill person or a violent criminal um, or someone who just has hate in their heart, how can we be more proactive to address that instead of waiting until that person finds their way to a school campus mm -hmm. And we're saying, well, should a, you know, should a teacher be the one responsible to defend our children? The further away we can keep the wolf from the, you know, from the, uh, the sheep, the safer it would be for everybody. And I'm not trying to compare children to sheep and bad people to wolves. But if you just visualize that, if we can get you before you, you, you get there, then, then you know, our, our most valuable assets, our, our children are safer. So let's not wait till they get to the schools to take action. Let's, let's stop people before they get to our schools. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, the 
opioid crisis, violent crimes, um, responsible gun ownership. Sometimes I think that that if you pay attention to national media, that it's almost misdirection. Like everybody's talking about the border wall, and while it's an extremely important issue, for my money and my bandwidth that I focus on, it's not the most important thing facing our country. Um, what are the most important things from your work that you're focused on, maybe top three that maybe people should be focused on, that you wish that they would know more about or focus more on? Uh, oh, you know, it, it, my answer will probably be not what you had expected, and I hope that's okay that I can kind of freelance this. Please, I, go. Um, I think we have a huge um, challenge and even failure when it comes to leadership in our nation because, you know, leadership, in my opinion, is was always intended to be um, servant leadership, you know, that you're a steward of those who have empowered you. So my job is to be the caretaker of public safety and what that means and, and the integrity of it. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I'm the best at it. But every day when I come to work, I recognize a couple things. This job is a privilege. There will be a time when I am no longer sheriff. So my mark will be, what did I do during that time to make it better for others? And that as a caretaker to this authority, which is a couple of really powerful things, the authority where we make decisions and circumstances to potentially take a life and the authority that we make decisions in certain circumstances to potentially take someone's freedom whether it's temporarily or long-term, that is extreme power. Mm -hmm. And if we are not good caretakers of it as leaders, then we don't deserve to be in this position. And that trickles all the way through my organization to you know a deputy on the street. The same thing applies with those who are elected to you know city government or county government or you know federal government. You're empowered to make decisions to make it better for others. And if your first decision is predicated in what party you're attached to, then you don't deserve to be an elected official, in my opinion, because you're putting party over people. And leadership should be, how can I be a good example to the next generation of what it means to make it better for others? You know, we've, we've moved to this space where people go, well, you know what, I'm just being honest. Well, just being honest means you have to say something hurtful. Then you're hiding behind the term of mm -hmm. honesty because mm -hmm. you can say something that is honest and frame it in a way that is constructive without being hurtful. And sometimes, you know, the truth can feel painful, but if it is founded in an attack on others, then just keep it to yourself. Because if you can't find a better way to bring people together and to identify solutions, we have a problem. So for me, the biggest problem is leadership, and it should be leadership that says, what is our objective collectively? What is a solution, and how do we get there together, knowing that we may have to either make concessions or um, you know, 100% for one and zero for the other is not always a win. Sometimes, you know, we can divide those ratios. But I agree with you. You know, the, the border wall and spending $8 billion or $5 billion, whatever the heck it is, just throwing it up in spaces where maybe it's not effective is not a sound use of taxpayer dollars. Uh, and that's something else. You know, like when you're an elected official, you better be a good steward of taxpayer dollars to make sure every dollar that's spent is spent on the mission you're responsible for. So health, safety, um, you know, the well-being of our families, education, those are some core values, and they fall in everybody's lane. <clears throat> Appreciate that, sir. So you've been at this for a little over two years, and we love asking what the top three things are that you've learned over the past three years. So, but you are you are the sheriff. So top three things you've learned just over the past couple of years, three years. Um, Whatever you like, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> learned a lot uh, for better or for worse but the things that I learned um, 
were really probably just reaffirms. It's not like there were new lessons, you know, and I kind of jotted because you guys did, you, you were nice enough to, to, to out front say, listen, we're going to ask you at the tail end. So just so you know, this is coming. And I kind of jotted some things down. And the first one is everything is personal and nothing is personal. So what I mean by that is, you know, I just got off the phone with a, a community member who had a concern that felt personal for her because of a decision that I made. And when we have thoughtful conversation, she understood um, it doesn't mean she agreed necessarily, but she understood why I made the decision and what the factors were involved in my decision. Um, so initially it was personal for her, but when we were done talking, it wasn't personal anymore. It was, okay, this was an objective process and here's how I came to that place. It wasn't intended to make anyone feel differently about you know, what we're trying to accomplish here. So everything's personal and nothing's personal. And the second one is just half of that statement, nothing should be politics. I do not believe that um, that politics should be the core value that leads us to make decisions because if so, we're not going to see the forest through the trees. You know, I was at the Capitol a few months back and uh, and was was um, you know on the little the second tier over the over you know over the the floor of the house and and looked down at all of our elected officials and they were some that was coming to a vote. And I could have looked at the scoreboard and told you what the number was going to be before they voted. (laughs) And that's shameful. I agree. And the other thing that went on, and I compare it to the same thing happens in a prison yard. And some some elected officials are like, how dare you say that about too bad? Because here's what it comes down to. (laughs) When I looked down there, everybody was in their little, you know, their little silos of people that, you know, they weren't just talking to each other as people. It was like, okay, what particular you know, caucus is that, or, you know, split the room in half and there's the D's and there's the R's and a few independents wander aimlessly, you know, but it's no different on a prison yard. You look out there and there's going to be certain gangs or groups and that's the only ones they can associate with. Otherwise they're outcasts. Um, that's shameful folks. If, if that's the only way that you can survive on, on the floor of our house or we're anywhere else in politics, uh, we're doing it wrong. So, you know, that is a really interesting analogy. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was, I don't want to say it was shocking to me, but it was more so disappointing. And again, these are people that are empowered to make decisions on behalf of a nation. Um, and the last one is, you know, I don't think it's about standing tall, but it's absolutely about standing up. Meaning you don't have to be the tallest or most powerful powerful figure, but you got to stand up for what you believe in and want to be a difference maker. And in doing so, it shouldn't be because you're making a difference for yourself. It should be because you're trying to make a difference for others who need someone to fight on their behalf, mm-hmm. need someone to stand up against the bully when they're more vulnerable and uh, and each one of us in the spectrum of the, you know what we can influence, one person can make a difference in, in the lives of two. And, and that in and of itself is, you know, it's a force multiplier. So that's it. Wonderful. Well, I know I'm extremely grateful for your service and grateful for your time. For those who are listening that say, you know what, everything you said makes sense to me. I'm interested in, in standing up. How would you counsel them to get involved here in the local community or whatever community that they're living in? Well, um, you know, I, I, uh, they, they say don't confuse church and state, but I can't help myself because as, as a man of faith, I believe that, you know, one of the most important things we can do is, is try to make a difference for those who are less fortunate. So whether it is, you know, looking at some social services and saying, how can I, you know, not, not carry somebody, but help pick them up, whether it's making a contribution, feeding the homeless, you know, working with kids in, in areas where maybe education and opportunities for education are not as prevalent. Look at simple things. What in, you know, a small gesture within the control of who you are, what you have as resources, can you do to make it better for somebody else? You know, that's the first place. And then I do think there are core elements in our society that I said before, which is education, health, and public safety. 
are the three most critical things that all of us want for our families. Whatever lane that is that suits you, if it's volunteering your time or becoming a professional in that area, what can you do? What can you give? And I assure you, whatever you give, you're going to get back because what we do for the least is, you know, what impacts the most. So start there, you know, make the world a better place. And it sounds like so, you know, it was a PSA for, I was joking before I was telling you guys about that movie, Evan Almighty, but yeah, we all got a responsibility to just do a little bit more for, for somebody else and pay it forward. Agreed. Santari, what else? <clears throat> Answered all my questions. Thanks for thanks for doing this. How was your first podcast? Traumatizing. I don't know. I mean, oh I my a couple days to recover. Traumatizing. We did our job. We did our job. You guys, you, if they could see the beads of sweat going down my yeah. forehead, they'd be like, how this guy becomes sheriff. You, you can kill that bright light now. <laughs> well, Sheriff Penzo, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. And remember, keep questioning because the struggle is real. On behalf of Centauri and I, thanks as always for listening. Please subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and feel free to share the show on social media. Thanks a lot.